My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. This meditation is about Mary and Joseph in the heart of Jesus, basically focusing on marriage and on the family. And we're asked to think about divine love and human affection. Our God in his deepest mystery is not a solitary being, but a family. Pope St. John Paul liked to say that God is a communion of, communion of, of persons and that the family is a communion of persons. He liked to say that the Blessed Trinity is a life-giving communion of persons. The love of the Father for the Son gives rise to the Holy Spirit. And marriage is also a life-giving communion of persons. And so God's inner life is paternity, filiation, and the essence of the family, which is love. Occasionally, we hear that phrase repeated, that God is love, that phrase from scripture. So very powerful, so very central. It's the essence of everything we live for and that we have to transmit to people. Charity. Sanctity is charity. And as we grow in sanctity, we'll be trying to grow in charity. It's on that that we will be judged. And so all the time we could ask God that he who is love might shine a little more in our lives. So that in everything we say and everything we do, that central message might get transmitted. In the same way that our father was able to transmit that message. Christ is love, the church is love, the spirit of Opus Dei is love. Everything that we're involved in has to do with love. And often that charity is manifested by order, order in our affections. Loving the people and the things that we should love in first place. Family values are family priorities. We've heard this phrase, love in your heart was not put there to stay. Love is not love until you give it away. And so love is wanting life's best for another, even if that doesn't include us. Whenever John Paul talked about love, he liked to talk about love as giving. It's all focused on giving, not on getting. And so we can ask our Lord for the grace to be more compassionate. With the compassion of Christ, compatior, and of his mother. May we show to others the love that he has shown to us. Many years ago, I was living in a place called Balagua Fazidos in Pamplona. And every day, we were about 100 university students. Every day after lunch, there was a get-together. And everyone was supposed to attend the get-together, but 
Of course, the get-together competes with the siesta, so usually there was about 30% attendance. And occasionally, if there was an invited guest, a celebrity who was visiting town or a local professor or somebody like that, the attendance would go up to about 50%. And one day in the year, a lady was invited. And suddenly there was 100% attendance. It was the event of the year. It was historic. Nobody wanted to, meet, to miss it. And this lady was a supernumerary lady who, was, who had eight children, and she was a professor of psychology. And when she started to speak in the get-together, she began to speak about what it meant to be a mother. And I was wondering, did she get her topic wrong? Because these guys are never going to be mothers. But then I looked around the room and saw all the jaws were hanging open. They were all fascinated. And she talked about what it meant to be a mother. They all knew what a mother was, but it never crossed their mind for a moment to think about what it meant to be a mother. And she narrated some very homey details from her domestic life, saying she and her husband were both academics, so they were a bit disordered by nature, one shoe here, one shoe there, sometimes the clothes on the back of the chair. And she said, as our children grew, we began to realize that they were imitating our example. So our battle in our family life was to try and practice the virtues a little more, to put our two shoes together, to hang up our clothes. And our whole get together was full of these sort of earthy details. And then she said, I think a mother has to try and be different things to her growing children at different stages of their development. To the two-year-old, she has to be the nappy changer because that's one of the most crucial services that she has to provide. To the six-year-old, she has to be the mum that gets down on her hands and knees and plays with the doll's house or the, the Lego or whatever it is. To the 10-year-old, she has to be the mum that puts on a bit of makeup or gets her hair done so when she comes to collect her 10-year-old son from school, he can dig the other guy in the ribs and say, that's my mum over there, the good-looking one. And to the 16-year-old, he said she has to be the intellectual mum that keeps abreast of current affairs, maybe has a novel going, is able to keep up a, an intellectual conversation with her budding intellectual child, and doesn't give him the impression that the last time an idea went through her head was before she got married. And of course, this lady was panning out a, an amazing challenge of motherhood that was reminiscent of St. Paul's phrase that we have to try and be all things to all men. And of course, you can say the same thing about a father and indeed about a grandfather different roles. What can I contribute? You've probably read Drucker's The Effective Executive, where he focuses on what makes people effective. He says they ask not just good questions, but the right questions. And the right question is, what can I contribute? It's a very good question to ask in relation to our family, to our marriage, to our children or our grandchildren our grandnieces and nephews, keeps us very focused, keeps us oriented toward giving, 
towards being that effective person in our environment, in our home. And helps us to focus a lot on self-giving to others and a spirit of service. What can I contribute means how can I serve? Our father in Bethlehem, he used to say that in Bethlehem and in Nazareth, nobody holds anything back. We're beginning to look towards Bethlehem once again, perhaps planning this special Christmas, which has its own graces. I don't know about you there, but certainly here, and particularly in the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross, we're seeing a lot of very special things happening that can only be the result of grace. And so the current difficulties are bringing their, their benefits with them. And our Lord invites us and our family to be there as one who serves. I am among you, he said in St. Luke, as one who serves. I heard a professor in the Philippines say once that education, the purpose of education is service. The purpose of our formation is service. Because Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And we might think that in our home, at our age, in our situation, well, maybe we earn the privilege of being served. But our Lord tells us otherwise. The greatest must be the servant of all. The pathway of Christ is a pathway of service. Also thanking God for all the good things he's given to us in our life. And possibly we take for granted. There was a manager of a five-star hotel in Singapore a number of years ago who was a Catholic. And he was a parishioner in a fairly prominent parish there that used to be run by Irish Jesuit priests. And the parish priest there, uh, this uh, manager was changing the sheets, the bed sheets of his hotels. We, he had a thousand bed sheets to give away. And he asked the parish priest if he had any use for a thousand bed sheets, which he didn't. But he knew that I had moved here to Kenya. And so that parish priest sent me a thousand bedsheets. And so we distributed them in various places. But at that time, we had a technical school that was starting in a very depressed area of the city called Eastlands. And we had started a sort of a shelter for street kids. There's about 60,000 street kids on the streets of Nairobi. So we had about maybe 30 or 40 of them who would come there to sleep at night. And we gave them some of these bed sheets. And a week or so later, I was chatting to one of these guys, maybe nine or 10 years of age. And I asked him, well, how are the bed sheets, knowing that they had never had bed sheets before? And he said, well, they're going very well. But I was wondering, he said, if the next time, if they could be black. And I was sort of wondering, you know, why would you want black bed sheets? And he said, so they don't show the dirt perfectly normal male psychology. So I told him, well, I would uh, try and transmit that message to the manager of the five-star hotel in Singapore and ask him if he wouldn't mind changing all his bed sheets to black. No? We could form a whole new culture of hospitality. No? So if you go someplace and you find that there are black bed sheets, you may know where the idea came from. But what was interesting was to see this little kid who'd never had these things before, up with this incredible idea 
And so when you hear stories like that, you sort of realize how many things in our home that we may take for granted and never even think about. Our Lord, when he washed the feet of the apostles, he said, I've given you an example so that you may copy what I have done to you. And so we've to copy that example in order to try and transmit that example and those values to many other people. Our children or our grandchildren are watching. They're learning. Our educative and formative role never ends. And so the virtues that we try to put into practice in the home over time can yield incredible results. We might not see those results immediately, but very often they're there. Father Dottori in the Philippines, who beforehand was in Ireland, who wrote so many philosophy books, you may have seen some of them. He used to say that patience is a great social force. I used to find that phrase very consoling. Patience is a great social force. The seeds that we sow with our example take time to germinate. And maybe God wants to count on years, decades, maybe centuries, before all those seeds yield their abundant fruit. There are many beautiful fruits we are seeing at the moment in this country from all the work of the Irish missionaries. The major schools in Kenya for the last century have been run by the Holy Spirit Fathers and by the Loretto Sisters. And so half the country has passed through those schools. Many heroic lives, some of them still alive. There's one who's 101, there's one who's 99. I see them from time to time. Very inspiring example. But of course, the fruit of their lives, you see a lot of it is coming over time, a whole century of effort. There's a bit of a story there because one of the first Loretta sisters who came here in 1921, or shortly after, had fought in the Irish War of Independence. Sister Teresa O'Sullivan, I think was her name. And it was after that that she found her vocation as a Loretto nun. And then they sent her to Kenya to fight the British again, with all due respects to all the British. No? And she set up the first school for African girls in the whole of East Africa. And you look back now and see what that meant. An incredible thing to have achieved. And now they tell all these stories, no? which are not very well known in the world. But of course, a lot of these stories and these seeds that have been sown take an awful long time to yield all their abundant harvest. And so in our families, the efforts that we make to practice those virtues will also yield their abundant fruit in due time. But we have to keep focusing on the goal of our vocation, holiness in marriage, immersing ourselves in the heart of Mary, in the heart of Jesus, in the heart of Joseph, and working at being experts in this mission that God has given to us. There was a guy in the formal final year of the school in Manila who was a very average student but his achievement was way above his, his capacity in many ways. I think he had three sisters. He was an only son. 
His father was a very busy businessman. He had a lot of important businesses. But somehow he was very close to his son. We've heard our father say on many times that parents should try and be very good friends of their children. It's an easy thing to say, but in my experience, it's not such an easy thing to achieve. And of all the people I've met in the last number of decades, I think this man managed it more than others. And I asked him, well, you know, how did he manage this? What was the secret of his success? And he told me, well, you know, I gave up the cocktail circuit and I tried to be home at six each evening and I spent about an hour chatting to my son. So we're really buddy buddies. We know what's going on in each other's lives. We're very close. The son eventually got into an Ivy League university in the States. He did very well. But then I asked the father, but what gave you this motivation to have that focus, to spend so much time on your son and your family? This man was not a member of the work. He was a cooperator, but not a very active one. And he told me that I spent some time working on Wall Street. And I got to know this Jew on Wall Street who was very successful. We became good friends. And one time he invited me one weekend up to his home in upstate New York for the weekend. And he brought me there. And it took us about five minutes to get from the gate of the house to the house. And that was because the car was breaking down. It was an incredible mansion. And then he showed me room by room around this mansion, beautiful place. And then we came to his bedroom and over his bed, there was a big poster, big sign that says the greatest failure of a man is to fail as a father. And this guy told me, you know, I was mesmerized, a bit perplexed. Here is this guy who's so successful professionally and he has a statement of failure over his bed. And so we asked him, well, what's this all about? And he said, well, you see, when I was on the up and up on Wall Street, I put my kids into boarding school and then Christmas time came and I was very busy. So I just sort of left them there. And then the summertime came and the same thing. I sort of left them there also. And this went down for a couple of years. And now one of my kids is on drugs and another one is something else and a third one is something else. And he, he painted a not very savory picture. And so this Filipino father told me I came home and I made out my own sign and I hung it over my own bed to remind me, to remind myself, no matter how successful I may have become in all sorts of ways, the greatest failure was to fail as a father. And through the formation that we get in the work, the ideas that we're constantly reminded about, we're helped to be a great success as a father. And of course, the fruits of that effort may not be seen for many years to come. Maybe a long time before all of those seeds yield their abundant fruit. Fruits of our prayer. Fruits of our sacrifice. That you might not see in your children, but it might come in your grandchildren or in your great-grandchildren. But it will, it will come. Because we can have great faith that God repays a hundredfold. If you, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? 
And so we can have great faith and trust in the graces that God is giving to us. In the apostle of the family, of our marriage, of the role we play on the streets where we live, in the extended family that we belong to, often in the silent example that we give when we practice our norms or we get to mass, and we try and live cheerfulness or that spirit of service in our home, our perseverance and loyalty in little things. We know that that more is something that God wants to give us and that will come. He has great fruits prepared for our life. And so we can have a great confidence. We can thank God for the treasure of this vocation that he's given to us and maintain that sense of treasure in our married vocation and in our family. I heard a story once of a Two guys who had stopped going to Mass on Sunday and they borrowed their father's car and they went for a drive in the mountains and then they saw a man coming across the fields and he was handicapped, he was lame. And they were good guys so they thought they'd stop and give him a lift and they took him into the car, it was a Sunday morning and they asked him where he was going and he was going to Mass and the church was still a few kilometres away and this man was handicapped. So they brought him to the church and then they weren't really doing anything special. So they thought they should do the good thing and wait for him and give him a ride back afterwards. So they went into mass. There was a priest hearing confession. They went to confession. They got communion. And then they gave the man a, a lift back afterwards to where they had picked him up. And he went off across the fields. And the story said he didn't say anything to these guys. Didn't give out to them for not going to mass regularly or for the life they were leading or all the funny ways that they were living. But what he did give them was the silent example of his faith, of his sacrifice, of his heroism, of his living out his Christian vocation in the way that God wanted him to live it. And so we never know in the place where God has placed us, how he's using us, to sow the seeds that he wants to sow in the souls of the people that he's placed around you. And that hopefully we'll live to see or see from heaven the great fruits that are going to come from there. The evangelization of culture, the civilization of love, all these marvelous goals that Pope St. John Paul, whose feast day we celebrate tomorrow, has placed before us, the culture of life. In spite of the difficulties, in spite of all the chips being down, if you read about the early Christians and the environment that they had to put up with, well, all the time things seem to be becoming more and more similar. But yet, we know we have great things to look forward to. Don Alvaro talked about the new flourishing of the church, the new flourishing of the family. We're bringing that about little by little in the ordinary things that we're, that we're doing. St. Benedict liked to say that external monotony is an invitation to inner change. Whereas novelty and constant variety short circuit the process of going deeper. And so the period that we may be living through in society or in our own personal life well, might precisely be a period of external monotony, but yet carrying with it great graces for future change. 
Our Lord gives great dignity to family life. He wants us to create that atmosphere, to think about it, to become experts, aristocrats in this whole business of the family, seeing what we can contribute, how we can help other families, encouraging them with our words, with our deeds. And sometimes just by listening, understanding, excusing, forgiving, working on that business of communication in marriage. There's a couple in Singapore who told me that, well, they have organized the marriage preparation course for about 25 years. They told me this, every week or every month, they have a timeout. And they sit down and they write down all the things that have annoyed them in the previous week or so. Little statements, little things that happened, things that may be difficult to express verbally. They write them down. They spend a bit of time doing this and then they swap papers and they read what the other person has written down and then they apologize and begin again. It's great to have little habits like that whereby we can train other people to grow, to build up great families, great marriages. So that as Stenson says, we can build up great human beings. People who can take their place in the world and in the church and do wonderful things for the future. Knowing that the grace of God is working in all sorts of ways. I was at a 60th anniversary of a Loretto nun last year, Irish Loretto nun from Armagh, amazing character. And she talks about how when she was six in her kindergarten school, a priest came to give them a talk. He was an African an Irish priest missionary in Africa, talking to six-year-old kids, and he asked them to pray for all the little children in Africa who didn't know Jesus. Now, you might think that talking to six-year-old kids, things go in one ear and out the other. But this little girl took this very seriously. And now, after being 60 years in Kenya, she talks about, that was the beginning of my vocation. She said, later in life, I went to look for that priest to find out who he was. He must have been an SMA or a, a Holy Spirit or somebody, but couldn't find him. But she often remembers the faith of that priest going to talk to those six-year-olds. And then she went home and asked her mom. The priest asked them if the last decade of the rosary every night could be for the little children in Africa who don't know Jesus. So she went home and asked her mother, and the mother said, no, the last decade is for the Pope. But it could be the second last decade. And so they began to say the second last decade for the little children in Africa who didn't know Jesus. And so God works all sorts of miracles in the souls and the minds of little children who are watching, who are listening. And so we can have great faith in all the things our vocation tells us about the apostles of marriage and of the family that we're involved in. How God is using us in a special way at every stage of our existence. Nothing is lost. We're sowing peace and joy, we're creating bright and cheerful homes, we're creating family fun, we're helping people to rediscover the important things. And hopefully, little by little, we're, we're spreading all those things all over the world. I'm always very moved when here in Kenya or also in Singapore and in Manila, people talked about how indebted they are to the education they've received from their Irish teachers, nuns and priests. 
In Ireland, we don't know half the stories, no? incredible things that have been done in the last century. We have an awful lot to be proud of. And all of that started with prayer in the family, with great families, great mothers and fathers, and maybe grandfathers and grandmothers. And now that baton has been passed to each one of us. And so we can ask Our Lady that she might help us to focus a little more on this great goal of quality in family life that our Lord and our Father have entrusted to us. We can say, Mary, Queen of the family, pray for us and pray for our family apostolate. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.